Well, good morning, Living Streams. It's good to see you, good to be with you. Um, yeah, it's been a minute. It's been a minute, but uh, it's good to be back. It's good to be connecting with Ryan and the team. Um, we had our staff meeting this week, and it was so fun to just be with them and, and to see how well everyone's doing. And, you know, they put in a lot of good work. I love what Chris uh, said to them. He said, it took a very mature group to be able to navigate this, and it's true. They showed a lot of maturity and, and goodness. But it's, it's fun to be back. Um, uh, for those of you that don't know, that is true. My, my family, we left uh, about a little over nine months ago and went to Ireland. I have Irish citizenship, long story. Um, and uh, we got to go over there and, uh, and try that stepping out of the boat thing, you know. And we thought maybe we'd walk on water, but we spent about six months just trying to keep our heads above water in the cold, dark, and lonely post-Christian um, society over there. And, and uh, I mean, it's, it's obviously, many of you probably have been there, but it's obviously a wonderful place, it's a beautiful place, the people are awesome, but um, the church, uh, as, as we would know it, um, is not in a place of real strength um, right now. And, and, uh, and so it was interesting to be there and to work alongside them and get to see um, what happened in those last few months was what really felt like walking on water. Um, as we got to hear story after story, testimony after testimony of, of, of God showing up and God strengthening and God giving hope. Um, and uh, we'll talk about a lot of those stories in the, in the months and years to come. But, uh, but yeah, we're back. And we were way outside the American bubble, which some of you were like, hmm, that sounds pretty good. Um, we were way outside the Phoenix and Living Streams bubble. Um, in a very small farm town in the Midlands of Ireland. And, uh, and it's, it's been wild to come back to this big desert city and um, this, this intense American moment that we're in. But, uh, but we're excited. And, uh, it's, yeah, so thankful to everybody here, the elders, Ryan, and all of that. Um, it's a fun time to be at Living Streams. I feel like I say this a lot. It's at least an interesting time to be a part of Living Streams. Um, if you stick around, you're either going to get to experience all the goodness of of what we're trying to do as we chase Jesus, but you also might get to stick around and watch us crash and burn, which is kind of fun too, you know, um, as far as watching YouTube and seeing all the fails on there. <laughs> no, but we have a lot of hope, and, uh, and, and yeah, we have a lot of work to do as a church here in Phoenix in our day and age. So with that being said, uh, we're going to go to the Apostles' Creed. That's the sermon series we're in. Um, I went to a Catholic kind of post-Catholic nation, and I came back and found out you guys got super Catholic on me. So, um, yeah, Holy Week and creeds and all of that, but I love it. It's good stuff. So we're going to recite the creed together, as is our super liturgical practice. Um, and, uh, and so will you say this creed with me out loud all together? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Yes. 
This is an important um, grouping of words. Uh, it's not one that we came up with. It wasn't you, Ryan, right? You didn't come up with this? Um, no, this has been around for a long time, um, serving to do a lot of things. A little review on the creed, just to make sure we're all um, on the same page as we, as we dive into a couple of these lines um, that I've been given the assignment for. Um, I've made a little timeline to help us. Hopefully you can see it, and hopefully it's helpful. But um, around 30, 33, somewhere in there, A.D., Jesus ascended into heaven. Um, after that, for the next, really, 60, 70 years, um, the apostles were trying to um, figure out what to do and then, and then help other people figure out what to do. Um, and so the New Testament books were written, the 27 books that we call the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, on and on through Revelation. They, those books were being written during that time. And oftentimes the reason they were being written is because people were making up stories that weren't true or people were starting to add certain things. And so they were trying to really say, hey, 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 wait a second. We need to get back. We need to keep this thing pure. We need to stay on track, especially as the church began to spread to different cultures, different nationalities, different languages, and all of that. So they were really trying to keep a, a commonality to it all. And so um, the New Testament writings were completed. After that was this creed began to be circulated, about 120 to 250 in, um, in the Roman Empire, pretty much. Um, this, this creed was beginning to be circulated. It probably started out more as like something people would say before they were baptized. But on and on and on, there were little additions, little tweakings, and then it was formalized and circulated around that time. And again, it was to help the people um, not think they were starting a new church or a next church or um, um, something, something that wasn't connected to what had happened in Jerusalem and then Antioch and beyond. It was, it was they were really trying to make sure we're one faith, one baptism, one Lord, one church. Um, and so this creed was really helping to clarify to a mostly illiterate culture at the time what we believed and, and what unified us to the greater body of Christ. Um, after that, the Edict of Milan came, and this was a big shift in Christian history because now Christianity was no longer illegal um, and, uh, in Rome, and so that was a big shift. And then after that, again, um, the, the New Testament scriptures were canonized, and what that means is, is, is they were already written in circulation, but there were other books as well. But at that point, the church got together and said, we're going we're gonna to just stick with these 27. We're not going to add any more to this. Um, sorry, some of you um, books, you're not going to make it in. You haven't passed enough of the test, the filter, to get into this. But they canonized and kind of said, these are the 27 books. The apostles are now gone. The, the people who are leading after the apostles are gone. And we want to lock in on these things and not just keep adding to this. And so instead of adding to the scriptures, then they would do um, ecumenical councils. They'd get everybody together and they would do creeds to say, okay, we're dealing with a new challenge here. We're trying to figure out the Trinity. <laughs> and we're still trying to figure it out. But the um, Nicene Creed was, a, was an attempt to kind of take the Apostles' Creed and the New Testament canonized Scripture and say, okay, now let's create another creed that helps us understand the Trinity a little bit further. And it's really a fascinating um, document. I highly encourage you to check it out. And then after that was um, not another Nicene Creed. That's, that's my mistake. It was actually the, um, I think it was the Chalcedonian Creed and then the Athanasian Creed, but it could be back, whatever. But those are all some early church creeds, um, attempts to help us stay on course, and, and they're definitely worth checking out. Um, 
The creeds are not inspired and authoritative like the scriptures are, um, like those New Testament scriptures. That's been said, and I think that's important to keep in front of us. And the creeds are used to clarify and unify the church in the early stages, but they're just as relevant today, and hopefully we'll see that. Now, as I was going to um, kind of, I was working on our bylaws when I first took on this job. Um, really fun, exciting work, by the way. Um, I, was, I was looking at other churches and seeing what their bylaws said, and I, I didn't steal any, any bylaws from any other church, but I borrowed pretty heavily um, from one church in particular, and that's the Village Church. Um, and so I want to read a quote from them about what they said in regards to creeds and, and some of the bylaws and all those things. If you want to put that quote up from the Village Church. It's not YMCA or anything like that, in case you're wondering. Um, from its inception, the church has always found it helpful to summarize its core convictions in rather short and succinct statements, such as hymns, creeds, and confessions, to impart truth, to clarify and prevent confusion, to protect from false teaching, and otherwise hold fast to the historic landmarks of our heritage. The Christian confession is merely a response to God's revelation. Thus, the confessions of a church and its individuals should correspond to the boundaries and contours of biblical truth that God has revealed to us. All Christians everywhere say they believe in God, but creeds, confessions, and statements help to clarify what it is that we believe about God in life. We believe in what is expressed by the Apostles' Creed, and we confess it along with our brothers and sisters in Christ over all the world for the last two millennia. I just love those words and how kind of succinct and clarifying they are as we're going forward into another millennia um, of the church. So that being said, let's jump into the two phrases I've been given. Holy Catholic Church. Real funny. I go to a Catholic country and you give me Holy Catholic Church. And then um, communion of the saints. These two phrases. Um, Holy Catholic Church, first and foremost, a simple seminary type definition would be there is one universal family of God joined together as one body with Christ as the head and made up of followers of Christ from every ethnicity, nationality, and socioeconomic status. The scriptures that this phrase is rooted in, um, I think definitely would be Ephesians. Ephesians 1, um, 3 through 8 talks about the church being a family. Um, we're all adopted into this. We're co-heirs with Christ. Um, Ephesians 1, 22 through 23 talks about the church being a body. Some of us are feet and hands. Some of us are head and eyes. But we all have a part. We all have a role to play. And we're supposed to be coordinated, not like a little kid trying to walk, just stumbling all over the place. We're, we're hopefully growing into this full stature of a coordinated people. Um, and lastly, in, in Ephesians 2, 19, Paul talks about the the people of God coming together is almost like a mosaic or, or living stones fit together to be a holy temple to the Lord or a structure um, for people to find refuge in. And all of these pictures are speaking of this unity, this togetherness. The word Catholic obviously means universal, but it's also like the sum of all the parts. The church is, is holy. It's supposed to be healthy. It's supposed to be beautiful. It's supposed to be sanctified and set apart, different. But it's also supposed to be the sum of all of its parts, working together in a beautiful way. And then church. And I know church can be a, a, a trigger word. In Ireland, it was a major trigger word. Um, we, I would play soccer with, with these guys every Tuesday and Thursday. And 
And I kept trying to find a way that I could speak the name of Jesus to them, and it was just really hard to figure it out. But one time a guy asked me, you know, like, so what are you doing here? Like, are you some kind of weird American that you come here? Um, and then, you know, like, what do you do back home? And so I told, I, I, I was trying to tell him, and I knew the word church was a big mess, but I just, I didn't quite know what to say. And I said, well, I, I work at a Christian church back home, and one of the things we want to do is help other Christian churches be strong. So I've come here to work with the church. And he goes, hold on, you lost me at the word church. And I mean, literally, that's what he said and kind of laughed and walked off. And I was just like, yeah, yeah, I, I know I did. <laughs> um, and it was, it's an interesting, and here in our, our day and age, I know church is a trigger word for a lot of people today. There it's funny because at this point, it's so post-Christian or post-Catholic, whatever it might be, that, that you say the word church and you just kind of get a numbness. Whereas here, I think when you say the word church, you get a lot of non-numbness. There's a lot of emotion in that word, positive or negative. Um, and so we're learning how to navigate that. And all I can say to that is we don't have time to dive into it deeply. But this Wednesday, when we do the deeper dive, um, we're definitely going to be talking about that specifically. Um, and so if you can make it on Wednesday night in person, that's great. Or you can get the podcast later. Um, I, I've, I think there's some helpful things, helpful ways to understand that word church that um, could help us all move together and move forward maybe in some unity. But that being said, um, I think the point of what was happening at that day when they were saying this phrase was, again, like we said, the church had been very Jewish, um, very Jerusalem-based, and then it had moved out of Jerusalem into Antioch. Um, and there, there was kind of some challenges beginning between Jews and non-Jews or Gentiles. And we have this a lot in the New Testament. There's this, this friction, this battle. Even in Jerusalem, one of the first challenges of the church was the Grecian widows were not getting taken care of like the Jewish widows. And so immediately you have this tribalism that is deep in our hearts as sinful human nature people. And this tribalism was trying to work its way into the church and there was this constant reminder of saying, stop it. First and foremost, we are a part of the family of God, and none of us deserve it. But Jesus let us in. And so we are first Christian, and then everything else is subsequent to that. And now we're dealing with our own tribalism these days. The color of our skin, our nationalities, I mean, Americans were just, it was so interesting. The Irish were so fascinated by America. All they want to talk about was American politics, which was just so fun, by the way. I just loved it. It was like, oh, yeah, let's talk about this. This is great. Yeah, I got all the answers. Um, but there was, there was, it was just so interesting. And then, you know, here we've got Democrat and Republican. Just let those sweet words hang in the air for a bit here. Oh, I just can't wait. Election year next year. Oh, yeah, baby, it's going to be awesome. I remember 2020, I just went around joking with everybody. I was like, election year, are you excited? Just because I thought it was funny, and then it wasn't funny anymore. <laughs> it was like one of the worst jokes I had ever told to people. Um, but anyways, we, we just, there's, this, there's this real challenge to us as Christians to get tribal. Um, it's true in all of, all of society, but there's this call to us from the Apostles' Creed, and most importantly from the Scriptures, that we are one that we are Christians, we are a part of the body of Christ. And that's where we need to have our identity set and locked in. 
And then there is work to do after that. I, I totally agree. I mean, there are, we have jobs. We have, we have mothers and fathers. There are other identities that, that have a meaning, and we want to do a good job of those. But first and foremost, we have got to get it straight that we are all just people desperate need of Jesus. And there are Christians in every denomination around this world that are true brothers and sisters. No doubt about it. And the truth is, from my experience, as I've gone around the world and I've been to a lot of denominations, if I look to what the core tenets of what that church believes, I always find the Apostles' Creed. Even if they have different ways of doing things, this is the core of who they are. So in that sense, we're part of the same family. And fighting each other is the dumbest thing we can do. It really is the dumbest thing we can do. And I think it really breaks our father's heart. Just, when my girl, just like when I see my girls rude to each other. It makes me so mad. They've never done it before, but it would make me so mad if I exercise. Yeah, we are one. The Holy Catholic Church, it spans the globe, and we are one. And uh, when we went to Ireland, we got to link up with a church of about five people. And uh, I set up the chairs for them every Sunday, which you're like, oh, wow. That's so there was five people. I set up 10 chairs because when we showed up, there was 10 of us. Um, and uh, I'm glad I don't have to set up chairs here every time. That would be a headache. But what we found over there was we found some of the most beautiful, awesome, strong brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers. Um, some of them are watching right now. And what's up, Baltas? And, uh, and it's just so wonderful to go to a new place and immediately have family because of what Jesus has done. And, uh, and the church, is, is, it is holy. It is universal. And it is beautiful, and it is not in decline. It's getting refined. But Jesus is the head of this thing. And Jesus isn't leading us into decline. Jesus has promised to present his bride pure and spotless before the throne. And when I was over there sitting around with a bunch of church, well, about six or seven church leaders around a table, and uh, it was very interesting to listen to them because these, these guys are like Paul. Paul wrote those, the story about the church. Paul was writing this vision of, of the church being this beautiful, awesome thing when the church was, had, didn't have a chance of survival. It was just tiny little fledgling communities around that were not impressive in any way. And Paul was like, just watch. She's going to be awesome. And these guys are in these tiny fledgling communities trying to survive. And I asked them their story. I was like, well, how did you get to this place? And I want you to hear this. Every single one of them around that table talked about when they came to America to work or for school, they interacted with the church that was here, and they've gone back, and they want so badly for people to understand who Jesus is now. The church that's found itself in America today is strong and beautiful, and it is still doing really good work all around the world. I'm not saying she's perfect. I'm not saying there isn't work to do. But we've been lied to. And you've got to understand that Jesus is the head of this thing. He's not the head of living streams. He's not, he didn't die for living streams. He died for the church that resides in living streams right now. He didn't die for the Catholic, quotation mark, church. But he died for all the saints that are a part of that. 
And all these organizations, they house the church, but Jesus cares about the church, and he's faithful to her. And there isn't anywhere in this world, hardly, that you can go to and not find some little old lady giving people food in the name of Jesus. The church has been and is the single most dominant force for good the world has ever seen. And you're a part of it. She's holy. She's universal. It's a good thing that we're a part of. And I got to tell that little church of five people that is now about 45 people, and they just are so excited about what the Lord has done. I got to tell them, look, you might feel like your small potatoes are insignificant right now, but you are one very important mosaic piece of this beautiful thing that God is crafting throughout the world. And they were like, okay, okay. And now they're, I mean, it's just really neat to see. The whole church is on a WhatsApp thread, which is kind of cool. Um, and, and they just keep posting videos and pictures of what the Lord's doing. It's so exciting. Um, and I miss it already. But anyways, that's going on. Um, we're a part of that. And uh, now for the communion of the saints. Uh, the communion of saints is somewhat similar but different. A simple seminary definition of this would be the spiritual fellowship and partnership of those living in Christ today and those who have died in Christ and those yet to be in Christ. Yeah, it's a little bit mind-stretching. It's not just about today. This isn't the only moment that matters in the history of humanity. We're just a blip (laughs) on the timeline. But we have a very important role to play in the communion of the saints. The scriptures, that root communion of the saints, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Um, Hebrews 12 comes after Hebrews 11. Huh? There's a reason I'm saying that. <laughs> it's not just showing off my math. Hebrews 11 talks about all the saints who have gone, the heroes of the faith. And then in Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let's throw off every weight that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Basically what he's saying is all those saints that have gone before have paved a way for us. All those saints that have gone before we're standing on the shoulders of. Don't fail now. They had to fight. Actually, most of them died having not received the promise. Most of them went through fiery furnaces and challenges. And now it's our time to persevere, no matter what situation we might find ourselves in. Whether the the culture we have loves us and wants to see more of it or hates us and wants to see none of it. It is our turn in our day, in this 21st century, to be the heroes of faith that the people after us need us to be. There is a communion of the saints. I love um, Mark Buckley has done a lot of memorials. He's the founding pastor here, and, and I've been to a bunch of them, including my own mom and dad's, and I remember him saying something that's so fascinating but so true, and I think the communion of the saints um, speaks to that. It's the idea that all of the loved ones that we've had in Christ that have passed away, their prayers are still alive. So my mom and dad, they're gone. But all the prayers they've prayed for me, they're not gone. They're not gone at all. They're still alive and well. All the prayers of Elijah, the fervent and effectual prayer, all his prayers are still alive. They're still coursing through humanity. 
All the prayers of Jesus that he prayed for us are still alive. In fact, he's even interceding for us. The prayers of David, we read them all the time in the Psalms, but those ones and all the other ones are still alive. We have this great communion. We have this great heritage of heroic faith in the face of all kinds of challenges. So whatever challenge we're facing, guess what? It's our opportunity to be heroic. It's our opportunity to persevere with this great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us. And then he goes on in Hebrews chapter 12, the same chapter, but down towards the end, he's talking about, you know, you're not, you're not just coming to God like, like, like the people in the Old Testament did, but now because Jesus has come and the Spirit has a new relationship with us, he says, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What the writer is trying to say is, look, I know it's a little confusing. He's writing to Jewish people that are trying to figure out, should they go back to Judaism? How is this all working out? They're a little confused. They're a little challenged. And he's saying, look, you don't want to go back. You've come to something new. You've come to something powerful. You've come to the Holy Catholic Church. You've come to the New Testament. You've come to the Confessing Church. You're a part of something so fascinating. Paul used to marvel. He said, I can't believe I get to be a part of understanding this mystery that has been there for all, and God has revealed it in my time. And Paul, crazy enough, he could actually in his mind's eye see the church being as beautiful and strong as she is today by faith. And he sacrificed so much to make her strong and to help her survive and to move forward no matter what she faced. And this is the communion of the saints. But we have a part to play in it because there are people who will come after us and they have a part to play, but right now is our time. It's like Goonies. Up there, it's their time. Down here, it's our time. Sorry, I just love Goonies too much. It's our time to take up our place in the communion of the saints and to go forward. And it's hard because I know we all can feel surrounded. Um, surrounded by sickness, surrounded by challenges, surrounded by loneliness or confusion or despair, surrounded by anxiety or financial stress. And I'm not trying to minimize those things. Those are real. Those are realities. Surrounded by all kinds of political turmoil, all kinds of humanistic ideologies, deceitful ideas, playing to disordered desires, trying to be normalized in a sinful society. We're dealing with all kinds of stuff around us, no doubt about it. But just like Elisha and his servant that day when they were at their home, and Elisha's servant walks out in 2 Kings chapter 6, and he looks and he sees this army surrounding the city that have all come to kill Elisha. He goes back in and he says to Elisha, hey man, we in a tight spot. Um... You know that army that you've been making really mad? They're all here, all of them. And they've surrounded us. And he was panicked. He was freaked out. And Elisha, he just says, hold on, man. Those with us are more than those against us. And the guy was like, 
Oh, cool. Nice words, man. <laughs> they have swords. They're angry. And he prays and says, God, will you open his eyes to see? And then the servant goes back out, and the army's still there that wants to kill Elisha. But surrounding them, the servant can see a whole nether army of angels that are on fire surrounding them. And he comes back inside, and I have no idea what he said. I wish I knew what he said. But then if you read the rest of the story, it gets hilarious. Elisha was hilarious. He, like, starts playing practical jokes on these guys. It's really interesting. But whatever you feel surrounded by right now, what the Apostles' Creed, what the Scriptures are trying to tell you is don't forget that you are also surrounded by the triune God. You are surrounded by God the Father Almighty and His loving arms. You are surrounded by Jesus Christ, the Son, and His songs of deliverance. You are surrounded by the Holy Spirit and His comforting, empowering presence. You are surrounded by the Holy Catholic Church in all of its glory, in all of its strength and beauty, and absolutely 100% for sure future because Jesus' name is written on it. And you are surrounded by the communion of the saints. And the call of Hebrews is with all of that, you need to persevere. That's really what our call is, is to stay faithful. No matter what the cost might come, no matter what the challenges might um, be on the, the horizon, it's just our turn to be faithful to Jesus, to tuck in real close to his hem and follow where he leads whether it be onto waters that are troubled, whether it be into storms, or whether it be to green pastures and still waters. We are surrounded and we are included. In John 17, that's what Jesus prayed. He said, Father, I pray for those who will believe on the apostles' words. And he says, I pray that they would be one, even as we are one. If Jesus didn't say it, it would feel way too blasphemous. But somehow we're not just surrounded by the Trinity, but we're included into it. That we're not just, like Jeff said, we're not just um, a part of the family, we're a part of the family business. We're included. It's like that, that video Veronica played last week where that kid kicks that little soccer ball and it hits the water ball and everyone around just starts going crazy cheering for him. We are a part of this family that is cheering us on. And a lot of them have laid down very, very heavy sacrifices so that we could be where we are. And it's our turn to lay down heavy sacrifices. It's not our turn to just cash in on all of their work. It's time for us to start doing some sacrifices so the people ahead of us have something to cash in as well. That's the communion of the saints, and that's the Holy Catholic Church. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much. I didn't have to set up all the chairs for everybody today. Thank you so much that there's people setting up chairs all over this world so people can hear your word. 
Thank you that there's brave men and women all over this world who are standing up, stretching out, so that other people can feel what it's like to be a part of your family. And Lord, I pray for all of them, that you would give them strength, you would give them coverage, you would give them resources, you would give them joy. Thank you, Lord. And I pray that you would help us to be who you want us to be, that we wouldn't shrink back, we wouldn't go into hiding, but Lord, we would be bold and courageous as we carry the torch into this 21st century in our little part of the world. Thank you, Lord.